0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Well, prior to the school semester ending a couple of weeks ago, most high school and college students have to take final exams. And these are tests used to determine what they know or what they have learned throughout a given semester and it really serves as a checkpoint of sorts. It's an opportunity for teachers or professors to assess where their students are at when it comes to a specific academic subject. Now, when it comes to sports, tests are an opportunity to see how your team measures up against the other top-level competition. Or when it comes to weightlifting, it's not uncommon to schedule a max day. It's essentially it's a test to see how much you can lift often at one time. Now, generally speaking, tests are difficult and challenging. Because if it was too easy, it's not a true assessment or a gauge of what we know or how good our team is or how much we're able to lift. And of course, it's the difficulty of those tests that is the reason why so many of us, if not the majority of us, don't really like tests. We're not a huge fan of them. I mean, personally, I'm so glad that I'm no longer in school and facing academic tests on a regular basis. However, I know that the testing doesn't end just because I'm no longer in school. Tests are still very much a regular part of life. They don't typically involve a letter grade, They just take on different forms. And so this morning, we want to talk about the tests that we face. We want to talk about the purpose of them, how we can prepare for them, how to respond to them. And even though they're difficult, we'll talk about the potential benefits they offer or they bring about in our lives. Now, if you've been with us throughout the month of December, you know that we just finished up a teaching series called Why Christmas? And we talked about how Christmas doesn't really begin in the New Testament with Mary and Joseph wondering how did we get pregnant and where are we going to have this baby? But in actuality, it begins some 2,000 years prior with a couple, Abraham and Sarah, and they're wondering, will we ever have a baby? And in Genesis chapter 12, God appears to Abraham and makes him a promise. And God tells Abraham that he will become a great nation through which all peoples on earth will be blessed. It's an amazing promise. There's just one problem. Abraham doesn't have any children. You fast forward, jump ahead to Genesis chapter 15, and God tells Abraham that he will have countless descendants. However, Abraham still doesn't have any children, and he's able to take advantage of the senior discount everywhere he goes. All right. So despite these realities, Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And then you get to Genesis chapter 21 and, and a child is born to Abraham and Sarah and they name him Isaac and finally the fulfillment of God's promise has begun. They have a son, the means by through which they will become a blessing to all nations and have countless children. But then something pretty wild happens. Something pretty interesting happens. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Or you can navigate there on your Bible app. And we're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning in Genesis 22. And while you're turning there, allow me to read the first verse, chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And we've got to pause right there. We're, we're only six words in, but we have to pause right there because it says, God tested Abraham. Now, again, a lot of us don't really enjoy or care for tests. So hearing that God tested Abraham, that might raise a few questions. Like, what does that even mean? And did God intentionally make his life more challenging or difficult? And why would God even need to test him? And if God tested Abraham, does he test us as well. For now, we're gonna answer that last question. And the answer is yes, God does test us. Now, to be clear, God doesn't tempt us, but He does test us. He does allow us to go through trials. James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And so then we have to ask this question. What's the difference between temptation and trials and testing? What's the difference? Because if God doesn't tempt us, but he does test us, he does allow us to experience trials, Well, then we have to know the difference between the two. And one of the primary differences is the source. You see, Satan is the tempter, not God. Satan is the tempter, not God. And we see examples of this throughout Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, very early on in the Bible, Satan tempted Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree that God said is forbidden. And then, before the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, it's important to recognize that God allowed Jesus to to go through, to be tested, to go through this trial, and it came in the form of temptation. But it was Satan who tempted Jesus, not God. Another significant difference between temptation and testing and trials is purpose. You see, the purpose of tempting, temptation, is not for our benefit. It's not for our growth. But rather, it's to lead us astray. It's to have us go away from God, to fall into sin. You see, I don't think Satan was very concerned with Adam and Eve's nutrition. Hey, guys, make sure you eat your fruits and veggies. Like, no, that that wasn't happening. All he wanted to do was get them to lay a hand on what God said, do not touch, do not eat. He wanted them to sin, disobey God. He wanted to bring about death and destruction. And unfortunately, he was successful. But on the contrary, when we are tested by God, it's meant for our good. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to lead us astray. And of course, the testing might not be easy. It might not be comfortable. It might not be fun. Tests rarely are, but they are for our benefit. James also writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything he goes on to say in the same chapter blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that god has promised to those who love him peter also talks about the purpose of the trials that we encounter in first chapter 1 verses 3 and 5 peter talks about all that we have to look forward to as christians he writes about the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for us. He then says in verses 6 and 7, In this, the hope of what's coming. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. And we're about to get the answer to our question. Why did they come? Why are we tested? So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, the purpose of our trials when we endure and and the tests that we encounter are to ensure that our faith is genuine, resulting in praise, glory, and honor for God. And we'll talk a little bit more about the purpose and benefits of the trials we face A little bit later on. For now, though, let's go back to Genesis 22 and see how Abraham is tested. We'll pick it up again in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, of course... Abraham didn't know what to expect when God called out his name. But I think it's fairly safe to assume he didn't expect God to say that, right? Like, there's no way he saw that coming. And can you imagine now what's going through his mind, what's going through his head when he receives that command from God? Like, are you serious, God? That doesn't even make sense. You want me to do what? And and are you breaking the promise that you made with me? You see, if I were in Abraham's shoes, these would be the types of questions that I had going through my mind. Now, whether or not these were the questions that Abraham was wrestling with, we do not know. But we are told exactly how Abraham responded to God's command. Check out verse 3. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Abraham's response here is absolutely incredible, right? It says, early the next morning, there is no delay. This level of faith and immediate obedience is, is amazing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I procrastinate and debate with God when, he's, when I feel this prompting to go talk to a neighbor I don't know very well. And you have Abraham being told to sacrifice his one and only son, and he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll set an alarm clock early the next morning. Like, what is going on? And just a side note, I think, there's, there's a lesson in there for all of us about how quickly we should be To submit to God and obey Him. But that's another sermon. You see, when it comes to Abraham's response, here's what it boils down to. This is the only thing that makes sense to me. Either Abraham's faith and commitment to God had to be incredible, or Isaac is the most obnoxious and annoying child ever. That's it. Right? It's got to be one of those two things. Like, Abraham is the most faithful, committed follower of Jesus ever, or, or Isaac is just the worst. I mean, you got God is like, hey, I need you to sacrifice your son, and Abraham's like, cool, when do we leave? Right? I mean, he's a little too eager to get rid of Isaac. It's just like, yeah, I know he's a teenager, but like, man, you couldn't even, like, say, well, God, are you sure? Like, No, he's like, let's go. I'll set my alarm. Let's, let's make it happen. And am just like, this... This is wild. uh, Commitment has got to be off the charts or the world's worst kid. And of course, God acknowledges Abraham's love for Isaac in verse 2. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And so it has to be Abraham's incredible faith and commitment that cause him to swiftly obey God. And in fact, Abraham's obedience is uh, foreshadowed in his initial response to God calling his name in verse 1. One commentator writes that Abraham's simple response of, Here I am. Here I am. It indicates not only that he was present, but more importantly, that he was available. Ready and willing to undertake whatever task God might assign to him. Here I am. Now, Abraham might have been ready and willing, but the task that God does assign to Abraham raises a significant and somewhat troubling question. You see, by by telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, is God asking Abraham to do something wrong? And perhaps you've had that thought if you've encountered this story before. I mean, would God ever ask us to do something wrong? And unfortunately, we don't have time to do a deep dive on the answer to this question, but it's important that we address it to some degree. And I like the succinct answer one commentator gives. He writes, "Would God ever ask us to do wrong? No, but He will push to the limit, the boundaries of our commitment to Him." The first words of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Suggests that God never really intended the sacrifice to take place. The point was the test. Did Abraham really trust God? Scripture also tells us about the character of God and that he is holy and righteous. Therefore, he would never ask us to do anything that leads to sin that is outside of his character. Let's continue reading uh, the story starting in verse 4. It says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So after hearing God's call in verse 1 and what he's supposed to do, take your son, your only son Isaac, and go and sacrifice him, Abraham packs up and leaves very early the next morning. But they don't arrive to their destination for three days. Three days go by before they arrive to this mountain. See, that's that's a significant amount of time to think about what you're supposed to do when you arrive. That's a lot of time to have second thoughts and turn back. Like, this seems insane. I'm going home. That's a lot of time to debate with God. And question his plan. I mean, have you ever wondered? Like, why didn't God just have Abraham take Isaac somewhere close by to perform the sacrifice? Like, if if he's going to die anyways, why not just take him out back behind the tent and and do the deal? Like, if if he's going to be sacrificed, why do we have to go on this three-day journey by donkey to make it happen? You see, we have to keep in mind. That the purpose of the trip wasn't to sacrifice Isaac. It was to test Abraham's faith and commitment to God. And so the waiting, the delay, the time allowed to potentially second-guess God and turn back, that was all part of the test. You see, sometimes we face trials or, or the tests that we encounter aren't a quick moment in time. Rather, the testing or the trials that we experience last for this extended season, or in some instances, they're, they're continuous with no end in sight. And it's challenging for us to pass the test when it's within a momentary thing. But what will we do? How will we respond when the season of trial and testing seems to go on forever? Will we continue to obey over the course of time? Will we stay on track? Will we maintain our faith and trust in God? Or will we second guess God's plan and turn back? Will we throw in the towel because we just can't take it anymore and it's possible that some of you are wrestling with these types of questions right now you're in the midst of a trial and it's been going on for a long time but before you turn back before you give up and give in remember god's words to paul while he endured a trial and test of his own God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. And my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's one thing for us to know that, to read it on a page. It's one thing for us to have it on the wall of our house or post it on Instagram with some kind of scenic backdrop. But do we believe that? Do we actually believe that? When our world is falling apart all around us, do we believe that God's grace is sufficient for me? Do I truly believe that his power is made perfect when I'm weak? I don't want to be weak. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to pull myself up by my bootstraps. See, I think we know this, but we don't know it. Paul goes on to write, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so when you find yourself in this extended season of testing, keep going. Keep going. Stay the course. Maintain your faith and trust in God because his grace is sufficient for you and he will see you through it. As the psalmist writes, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Let's return to Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse six. and I'll read verses six through nine. It says Abraham took the word for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the n- fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, "Abraham, yes, my son?" Abraham replied. "The fire and the wood are here," Isaac said, "but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" Abraham answered, "God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son." And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Things are getting crazy, right? Things are getting a little bit wild. And while this isn't the primary focus of the passage, I can't help but think that Isaac is being tested too, right? Isaac is being tested too because at some point along the way, he starts to put two and two together. And he's like, yo, dad. Pops, I know what we're going to do, and I don't seem to remember us bringing a sheep or a ram or anything else we can kill. So what's going on? And God's just like, hey, God will provide. Okay, cool. But then you know all doubts have been eliminated when he starts to get tied up by his dad. Like, (laughs) What is going on there? Like, um, okay. Still a little bit concerned now dad about the ram or the sheep or what is going on, right? Cuz like he's just getting tied up and and he's not a toddler, right? Isaac knows what's going on. Scholars say that Isaac or at least 13 years would have passed between Isaac's birth in the previous chapter and this story in Genesis 22. So he's a teenager. And you know Isaac could have easily overpowered or run away from his 100-plus-year-old dad, right? I mean, this would have been like Tom Brady trying to catch Tyreek Hill. It ain't going to happen, right? It ain't going to happen. Just, oh, bye, Dad. Oh, your ankle's like got done, gone, over. Like, he's not going to catch him. If Isaac wanted no part of it, that would have been it. But Isaac doesn't resist. Isaac doesn't run away. He trusts his dad, Abraham, just like Abraham trusted his heavenly father. And so for all of us who are parents or grandparents, what kind of faith are you displaying for your children? And is the kind of faith you're displaying worth emulating? Is it worth copying? Because, see, you and I know that when it comes to teaching our children, much of what we pass on to them is caught, not taught. It's caught, not taught. Meaning our kids learn by observing our habits, behaviors, reactions and responses as we go about our daily lives and so what are they learning from you about how to manage their priorities when those seasons arise and you have to choose between church and something else what are they learning about your priorities what are they learning from you about a consistent devotional time What are they learning from you about the power of persistent prayer? What are they learning from you? What are they seeing? What are they observing? What are they learning from you about maintaining your faith and trust in God when you're going through the trials, when you're being tested, See, Abraham displayed tremendous faith in God, and I can't help but think it had a significant impact on the faith of Isaac and his willingness to participate in the sacrifice. He could have said, no way, old man, I'm out of here. But he doesn't. You see, like his father Abraham, he trusted God. And so now with his son on the altar, Abraham looks to complete the God-given task he was assigned. Genesis chapter 22, verses 10 through 13 says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. See, Abraham knew that Isaac was the means by which the promise from God would be fulfilled and yet he had every intention of sacrificing his son. So what allowed him to move forward with the plan, knowing that it would prevent the fulfillment of the, pro- the promise? And we find the answer to this question all the way in Hebrews, a, a New Testament book near the end of the Bible. And Hebrews chapter 11 verses 7, 17 through 19 says this: "By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice." He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. We can't miss that. Right, That is absolutely incredible. That even if God had allowed him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham figured God can raise him from the dead. Even if I complete this task that God has given me, he will still see through on his promises. He will hold up his end of the bargain. That there is still a way. And this is incredible faith. And because of his faith and obedience, Abraham Pass the test and I don't know about you but I want to have a faith like Abraham's when trials come my way I want a faith that fuels my obedience I want the kind of faith that inspires faith in others and of course this is easier said than done but there are steps that we can take to develop the kind of faith that Abraham displayed and first we need to simply pray And ask God, the author and perfecter of our faith, to increase our faith. He is able to give us the kind of faith that we desire. Second, we need to study scripture in order to have an accurate understanding of who God is. One commentator writes, ultimately the way that we see God will determine the shape of our faith. If we see a big, faithful, all-powerful God, then our faith will rise to those levels. But if, on the other hand, we see a smaller God, a distant, less active God, then faith will plateau at those levels. And last but not least, we need to ask God to give us opportunities to exercise our faith. James says that faith without works is dead. And so as we live out our faith on a regular basis, it will strengthen. It will grow. Pastor Craig Rochelle encourages everyone to complete one faith-filled action every day. And by doing so, our faith might eventually become like the faith that Abraham displayed. As this chapter nears its end in verses 15 through 18, Abraham is made aware of the benefits of maintaining his faith in God and obeying him in the midst of the testing. And God reassured Abraham that the promises made to him would be fulfilled because he obeyed God. In the passing, and by passing the test, we know that Abraham's faith in God is proved genuine. A same benefit for all of us because of what 1 Peter said, that it's uh, all of us who maintain their faith in God in the midst of trials, that our faith will be shown, proven to be genuine. The Old Testament book of Job records the story of Job. And the tremendous trials that he endured. And while the trials that he experienced brought so much pain and discomfort, he was aware that God uses them to refine us. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, he says, When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Meaning, God is going to use the trials in our lives to rid us of the unrefined qualities in our lives, so that when the testing is complete, we look more like Jesus. Probably the greatest benefit to experiencing trial. And while this isn't an exhaustive exhaustive list, one final example of the benefits to us that come from testing and trials is that if we stay the course and maintain our faith in God, our trials, our testing becomes our testimony our testing becomes our testimony meaning we have a story of God's faithfulness to share with others and in that way our family our friends our neighbors those who are in our sphere of influence the people that we rub shoulders with day in and day out who don't know Jesus they can benefit from the trials and the the the, the testing that we endure. Our testing becomes our testimony. Now, I said, at the, as I said at the beginning, tests are always going to be a regular part of our lives. And for some of you, 2022 felt like this ongoing season of testing. And perhaps the test has come to an end and you're able to see more clearly how God has used it to strengthen your faith and refine your character. Or it was used to highlight some areas that you still need to work on. As we begin the new year, some of you are in the midst of trials right now. And perhaps you're wondering how long is this gonna last? Do I have what it takes to make it through? And if that's where you're at this morning, keep going. Keep going. Endure. Cling to the words that Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So so while it might be difficult and uncomfortable now, know that it is for your benefit. And this is only the first day of the brand new year. And there's no way for us to know what's coming to us in 2023, but chances are you will be tested. You will be tested. And so when that time comes, I hope you'll respond in faith just like Abraham did. I hope you'll respond by saying, here I am, God. I'm ready and willing to take on whatever task you have for me. And I hope you pass that test with flying colors so that your faith is proved genuine, so that you become more like Jesus. And so that your testing becomes your testimony for the glory of God. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.